Welcome to Illinois Family Spotlight, a conversation about faith, family, freedom, the state of Illinois, our nation, and conservative action. Here's David Smith and Monty Larrick. Thanks for making Illinois Family Spotlight part of your day. During this edition, highlights from a forum on trans ideology hosted by Concerned Citizens for America in Rockford, a chapter of the Illinois Family Institute. The speaker for the event was Lori Higgins, culture writer for IFI. I'm going to talk in pretty bold terms about primarily the trans ideology, but of course that touches on the LGBT ideology. And since if you talk boldly about this, everyone calls you a hater and a bigot and you know anything else that they can come up with. So I want to make it very clear. Some of you may have loved ones or friends or relatives who identify either as homosexual or trans, and I don't hate people. I hate the ideology. I think it's really destructive. You know, if you're talking to people and they and you talk in bold terms and people accuse you of being a hateful, ignorant bigot, you need to make sure and tell them that in order to know what's loving, you have to first know what is true. So if the ideology is false and destructive, then it isn't loving to say to people, you know, oh, yes, I, you know, I don't believe homosexuality is okay, but I'll go to your wedding. That's not a loving thing to do. So we don't affirm things to people or in people that are destructive. We spend, you know, as Christians, I, I mean, I don't know if everyone's a Christian in here, but we spend a lot of time worrying about temporal lives and very little time worrying about eternal lives. So, so I just want to say I don't hate people. I hate an ideology. I, ha I hate certain ideas. I'm sure all of you, because you're politically engaged, know what's going on in the culture. But, you know, when they tell you, they used to tell us, oh, how does the homosexual agenda affect you? It doesn't affect you. That was a lie. And now they're saying the trans ideology doesn't affect you. So here are some of the ways. You, you know in Rockford, drag queen story hours are now happening everywhere. Sometimes they'll say, well, drag queens aren't trans necessarily, and, you know, and they try to separate the issues. We wouldn't have drag queen story hours if we didn't have the trans ideology that wouldn't be here. So uh, we have now, I just recently wrote about gender neutral, well, it's put out by Mattel. They're not Barbie dolls. They have a line called Creatable World. They tried to make it as gender neutral. They worked hard on the face so it didn't look distinctly male or distinctly female. It comes with male wigs and female wigs and male clothes and female clothes, and it's to give to your children. I just saw that Kellogg's has come out now with a kind of a rainbow, a, a particular, I don't know if it's a cereal, and, and is it a special line that's going to be for a short term? all with rainbow and, you know, gearing this toward children. That's what they're doing. When I first came to work for IFI, people will say, wow, this ideology just suddenly appeared on the horizon suddenly, and it's made all this progress since Obergefell, you know, the Supreme Court decision that legalized same-sex marriage. When I first came to IFI, so this was in 2008, I wrote an article about an article that was saying how to make preschools trans-friendly. So that was in 2008. No one paid any attention to my article. <laughs> and so, and here we are now. Because when you introduce stuff and you'll and say to people, you know, oh, this is happening, uh, because, of course, the next thing that's going to fall is going to be polyamory. We're going we're gonna, to, of course, it's unavoidable that we're going to legalize plural unions because of the ideas that were embedded in the Supreme Court decision and everything. But you say things to people and they say, 
oh, that's just that fringe group. You know, that's never going to make it to the center. It always starts on the fringe. Deviance always starts on the fringe, comes to the center, and the center will not hold. Like, the center will not hold. So you can't dismiss what's going on in the fringe groups because that's, that's going to come our way. So we have now, we have children being told that men with, can have uteruses and menstruate and get pregnant and women can have penises because they're saying, so just to get the language correct, a trans woman is a biological man and a trans man is a biological woman. And so, but what the left says is trans women are women. So now we are teaching this to children in our schools. I, I don't know, for those of you who subscribe, maybe you've seen the article I just wrote on um, District 65, which is Evanston and Skokie. This is their K through 8 schools. The K through 8 schools had an LGBTQ plus equity week where they introduced all this gender ideology starting at kindergarten. So this is introducing this ideology to five-year-olds. And as I've said to people that I've discussed this with sometimes a trans-identifying person or a homosexual or a journalist will call me, and I'll say, if kids can't, are too young to understand all the sort of philosophical, ideological aspects of the presuppositions that undergird these, you know, the trans and the homosexual movement, which they are, a five-year-old can't understand what's going on, you know, is homosexuality really like race? Is that a good analogy? Are there points of correspondence or not? If they can't understand that, which they can't, then it shouldn't be in, introduced to them because they're introducing it in a, in a very simplistic and biased way to little children in order to desensitize them, to, to indoctrinate them, and every year they will add more to the ideology. I also wrote about District 211, the largest high school district in the state, and that is in the Palatine area, and they have now sexually integrated all locker rooms, unrestricted access. So boys who pretend to be girls, and I, that's the way I say it, and they, I will say either, I won't use their terminology, I'll say either you know, boys who pretend to be girls, people who seek to pass as the opposite sex, people who wish they were, I'm not going to use their language, sometimes I'll say trans-identifying. But this is, so they have allowed people who pretend to be the sex they aren't and never can be, to have restricted access. They could change their clothes behind a pri they had to change their clothes behind a privacy curtain. No, no more. They can have unrestricted access. So if girls are allowed to undress, then a boy who pretends to be a girl can undress. If they're allowed to be naked, then so can he. No restrictions. This is the lie, puts the lie to their claim that this affects no one except for those people who directly identify. And that's why I did both those. So it's really important if you hope to discuss this to get your terms right. So we used to say sex and gender are identical. Now, this is one place where I will use this. I will use the way it's sort of been redefined. Otherwise, you sort of talk at cross purposes to someone else. So sex is biological sex. Gender, this is what the left has now says, is the aggregate of those social conventions and behaviors 
that are arbitrary, are socially constructed, and are associated with males and females. It's really helpful to know that distinction because you can turn it against them, which I love to do. So that's what gender is. And gender identity are your subjective internal feelings about maleness or femaleness. So it's good to understand that when you're discussing and when you're reading stuff so you understand what they're saying. Born in the wrong body, there is no... I have a, my son-in-law is a biotech... He's a scientist. He does works in like really high-level science. He's in neuroscience in biotech in San Diego. And we were just talking. Every scientist knows the human species is sexually dimorphic. There are two sexes and only two sexes. A female brain cannot produce a male body. A male body brain cannot produce a female body. They're, when they say born in the wrong body, all they really mean is, I really wish I were the opposite sex. I think I may be the opposite sex. They may claim to be the opposite sex, but if you ask them, how do you know? I mean, some of you have probably heard, what do, they say? what do the trans people usually say if you say, how do you know you're a woman? What would they say? I feel like it, or they'll say, well, I like to play with girl toys when I was little. But remember, girl toys are arbitrary, socially constructed gender stereotypes. That's from their side. This is where you can catch them up. So how can that mean you're actually a girl if those things are arbitrary and socially constructed? It actually means nothing. And in fact, there are a lot of feminists who oppose biological males in their private spaces, including lesbians, and men who pretend to be women are can be among the most vicious, like scarily vicious. So they've created a pejorative, it's called TERF, T-E-R-F, trans-exclusionary radical feminist. And it's an insult that they hurl at women, feminists who don't want them. In fact, someone just called me a TERF and I said, I can't be a TERF because I'm not a feminist. So then he said, the body of, the scholarly body of work against the trans ideology is called gender critical theory. So he said, so you're a gender, uh, gender critical theorist or something like that. So it's interesting to say that to them, to ask, well, how do you know you're a woman? Because if they say, well, I like to play with toys, then you can say to them, but yeah, but that's a stereotype. That doesn't mean you're, that doesn't mean you're a woman because you, just like when we were growing up, older people like me, if you had a, a girl who we would call tomboy because she was more rough and tumble, liked to have sports, those girls never thought, gee, I must be a boy. But we are now doing this to young, young children, telling them they're a sensitive boy or they're a tomboyish girl. Well, maybe you really are the opposite sex. This is my passion about this issue. What we're doing to kids is so evil. I mean, and I say, you know, when people don't want to talk about this publicly because they don't want to be called a hater, and I say, you know what? Someday I'm confident that we're going to look back on this like we do on lobotomies. This is gonna be a medical scandal, and these children, who, because now they're doing double mastectomies on 13-year-old girls. At Lurie Children's Hospital, they're doing this. The youngest castration I've heard about is an 18-year-old, but they put them on the cross-sex hormones at 16, and those will sterilize them. So this is what we're doing to children. A lot of parents have been frightened into thinking that if they don't affirm this whole trans protocol, that their children are going to commit suicide, that it's a very, very, I mean, all, obviously all suicides are a tragedy, but the risk is very, very small. But the media likes to play up that the risk is very, very high. And that's why children are going through this protocol when they shouldn't. The Illinois Family Institute's Lori Higgins, during a forum in Rockford, 
hosted by Concerned Citizens for America. More from that meeting after this. This is Albert Mogler for townhall.com. The Pew Research Center is out with a sobering new report revealing dramatic changes in the American religious landscape. The survey from 2018 and 2019 found 65% of American adults describe themselves as Christians when asked about their religious affiliation. That figure, however, is down 12 percentage points just over the last decade. The share of the population identified as religiously unaffiliated, the nuns, N-O-N-E-S, are now at 26%. That's up 17% just over the last 10 years. That's a tremendous change in just one decade. Even more alarming is the generational breakdown of the pattern. The growth of the religiously unaffiliated is most pronounced among young adults. That fact, above all, should have our attention. We're witnessing the rapid and accelerating secularization of America. And the data would indicate no sign that these trends will be slowed, much less reversed. For the Christian world, the mission field is getting ever closer to home. Thanks for joining Illinois Family Spotlight. We're highlighting remarks made by IFI's Lori Higgins at a recent forum on trans ideology hosted by Concerned Citizens for America. During this segment, Lori discusses puberty blockers, pronouns, and the Equality Act. Well, I just want to talk a bit because a lot of people don't know. So now we're giving puberty blockers to children at around eight, nine, ten years old, so that they never go through puberty. The statistics historically have been, so gender dysphoria, which is the discomfort with your physical embodiment. So people say, you know, I am a male, but I'm, I don't like my body, I don't like my male body. And so that is a real phenomenon, and it can be very serious, it can emerge at very young ages, but the best research to date suggests that between 80 and 98% of those kids will come to accept their biological sex unless they socially transition, which means where you adopt a new name and everyone around you calls you by opposite sex pronouns and you're cross-dressing. Now, if you're socially transitioning and the next step is to take puberty blockers to halt puberty, that you'll hear it often said that the puberty blockers are reversible, that once you stop the puberty blockers, then you will go into puberty. It is true, but what they're not saying is, if you don't go through puberty when your peers do, your whole social experiences have changed. So I I don't know if you're familiar with the term neuroplasticity. That's the capacity of the brain to actually change the structure based on, among other things, behaviors. It's not as simplistic as, oh, just stop the puberty blockers and everything's going to go on the way that it was. If they've socially transitioned and everyone around them is treating them as, let's say, a boy, because historically gender dysphoria was much, much more common among boys, but I'll get to that in in a minute. The likelihood of the kids that socially transition, then go on the puberty blockers, and then take the cross-sex hormones in high school, the likelihood of them ever accepting their biological sex goes down to close to zero. If we didn't do all that, it's 80 to 98% of those kids would have come to accept their sex. That's what we're doing. I also want to say the puberty blockers they give them, the chief one is Lupron, it's called, which is what they will also give to kids who, if they have conditions where they're going to be very, very, very short. Sometimes they give them puberty blockers. This is not not affiliated with the trans phenomenon. It's just for other medical conditions to enable them to grow taller or they give it to girls who go into premature puberty. That's like girls very, very young, maybe five or six years old. But what they're finding now with Lupron 
is that the side effects, including things like osteoporosis, they're seeing that in like 30-year-olds who have taken this when they were very young for those other conditions. So we're now giving this to a whole host of kids who supposedly have gender dysphoria. So the, some of you have seen the show I Am Jazz on, or heard of it on the Learning Channel about Jazz Jennings. This is a little boy who there's, they've been following him for years. He identifies as a girl. They put him on puberty blockers. Then he went on cross-sex hormones. And then he just had surgery at 17 or 18 to recreate what they call as a, pardon me, but neo-vagina, that's what they call it. And the way they do that is to, well, they obviously amputate the penis. They open it up. They scoop out the innards. They use that skin to invert and then and create a neo-vagina. Well, he had a micro-penis because he had been on puberty blockers, so he didn't, his, his penis didn't become the size of a teenage boy. So they, he didn't have enough tissue to create a neo-vagina, so then they have to take peritoneals from your insides, you know, like in your abdominal cavity to use it, and that has a host of other gross things that I won't talk about. I'm only pointing this out because it's Frankensteinian. We're doing this to children. And there's two terms. One, I've already, I didn't use the term, but the kids who come to accept their biological sex around by puberty or late puberty, if we don't socially transition all that, that's called desistance. There's another phenomenon called detransition, and that's when people who were formally identifying as trans, and then they decide, not, and some of them have taken, surg had, um, taken the hormones, some of them have had the surgery, the whole ball of wax, and then they detransition. And this is a growing movement. So I don't know if any of you have heard of Walt Heyer, H-E-Y-E-R. Well, Walt Heyer, he, we've had him speak at our Worldview Conference. And so Walt was married. He had children. He decided that he wanted to be or thought he was a woman. He went and had the whole surgery. And in fact, in order to really look like a woman, you have to have a lot of surgery. Like they have to do things to their nose and their jawline and their... This is the first time when Bruce Jenner, when it was announced long before he was that he had a tracheal shave. I told my whole family, he's trans. No one has a tracheal shave except men who want to be women. Like, no one. And that was probably two years later when he came out. So, because men have a bigger Adam's apple than women's do, women do. Walt then detransitioned. He's married again now, but he's had the whole surgery. And he tells his story his, about his really profoundly dysfunctional family, and his grandma used to dress him in dresses and stuff. But there's a broader group of people. There's a lot of young women now who are detransitioning. And I've heard a number of their stories. And some of these are, are lesbians. They're, uh, they're left. They're not conservatives. And here's some of the reasons. Women who have, and as children, sexually molested, they grow up and, and some of them feel like, if I had been a boy, this wouldn't have happened to me. Or if I were a boy, it'll never happen to me again. And that is the cause of their discomfort with their body. Some of the people have had family traumas. When I worked at Deerfield High School, a colleague who was new to the school, a young woman, she's Korean, and her husband was Korean, and they had three little children, and she came to me, and she said that her husband experienced gender dysphoria, and he wrestled with wanting to have the surgery. And so we were, t so we were talking, and you know, just talking about that, and then the conversation ended. And then we just moved on to, and I was just asking her, you know, because she was new to the school, so I was just asking her about, you know, her background and everything. And she told me that her husband 
Her husband's father was a very, very, very well-known pastor in South Korea, which she said is a very superstitious culture. I did not know that. And so one afternoon, her, her husband was about seven, his sister was about five, her parents were going to take a nap in the afternoon, and they told him to watch his sister. And he, he was seven, and he didn't watch her carefully. She ran out of the house into the street, was hit by a car, and killed. Not only was that the family trauma that you can imagine, but he lost his church because the, the culture thought he must have done something horrible for God to do that to him. So it was like a really comprehensive devastation in the family. And so she told me this, and I said, so when did your husband start wishing that he were a girl? And she said, shortly after that. And I said, you don't think that there's any connection between him, because he felt responsible. And she said, and her husband had had counseling. We had had that in the first part of our conversation. And she said, I never thought about that. And the counselor never brought it up. I don't even know if the counselor knew the story of his, of his family background. But I mean, this is the kind of thing that we're seeing. There's a really interesting website called Fourth Wave Now, not conservative, but these are parents who have had gender dysphoric children who experienced what is now being called rapid onset gender dysphoria or adolescent onset gender dysphoria, which is a phenomenon that affects mainly girls. And they were talking about some of these kids who experience gender dysphoria have what they call comorbidities, you know, other conditions at the same time. And they can go in after one visit with a psychiatrist and they can get prescriptions if they're 18. They can go and get prescriptions for cross-sex hormones or a doctor recommendation for surgery after one visit. And they don't even investigate what's going on in their background. When did these feelings emerge? What other kind of comorbidities? Gender dysphoria is much more common, the experience of a discomfort with your body, among people who have autism. So they don't investigate whether they're on the autism spectrum either. And the left, the trans community, is pushing for less gatekeeping. There's one website called Peak, P-I-Q-U-E, Peak Resilience Project. These are four girls who started it, all who started identifying in adolescence as trans. And they've all four um, now are detransitioning. And so they just talk about their experiences and how it was too easy. All you can get in the medical community is affirmation of transitioning. I don't even like the term transitioning because you'd never turn into the opposite sex. Broken homes, family dysfunction, peer, problematic peer relationships, you know, kids being marginalized and bullied. All these things can contribute to feelings of discomfort with their body. Whether you're talking about homosexuality or the trans ideology with people, of course they'll always compare it to race or skin color. And I always say, if you want to create an analogy, you have to have some points of correspondence between the two analogs. There are zero points of correspondence between homosexuality per se and race per se, or gender dysphoria and race. But there is a good analogy for the gender dysphoria. There's a condition called body integrity identity disorder. There's an old, old term for it. It was called apotemnophilia, but now it's body integrity identity disorder. It's almost exactly. These people feel, experience a mismatch between their bodily wholeness, like I'm whole, and their subjective internal sense of themselves as usually an amputee. They're called amputee wannabes. It's usually an amputee. Sometimes they identify as a paraplegic. I read about one case she identified as a blind person, and she actually got a psychologist to pour chemicals into her eyes on multiple occasions and blind her. But body integrity identity disorder 
they feel this mismatch. They usually want to have a limb amputated like right below their knee. And the medical community doesn't want to do that. But we do castrate young men, older men. We do amputate the breasts of women. But we think it's barbarous to cut off the, someone's leg below their knee. I mean, it's crazy. It's a cognitive dissonance to not see the parallels. And they've actually, because you'll hear people say, you know, that you heard of a little boy who tried to cut off his own penis. And they say this as, as sort of evidence that it should be done. These people actually engage in self-harm so that when they go to the hospital, they have to finish the job by amputating the limb. Sometimes they want a spinal cord severed. I know it's grotesque, but it's not more grotesque than what we're doing right now to whether it's a child or an adult. I care most about children for obvious reasons because we should be protecting them. By the way, very few women who identify as men want to have the bottom surgery because it never works. It doesn't function. You have to use, you know, pumps and other things to get, I'm sorry, an erection, because it never works. You have to take, do all these skin grafts, and they're really awful. Like, it's, it's, the whole thing is grotesque. I want you to know that the trans, I call it the trans cult, because their beliefs are so science-denying, they're, like, cultish. They don't think that you need to have any surgery. You don't need to cross-dress. You don't need to take hormones to identify as the opposite sex. You could identify as the opposite sex just as you are. You just And Obama actually said it when he was issuing these edicts to every department, particularly the Department of Education. All that was required was a child's claim that they identified as the opposite sex. So imagine this. You have a woman who identifies as a man. She goes, she gets her new birth certificate which you can do easy peasy in Illinois. Well, in every state you can get it, but it's easier in some than others. Goes and gets her new driver's license, both of which legally identify her as a man. Now she goes to the beach or to the park, and she's going to play Shirts and Skins Ultimate Frisbee. She has her female anatomy. Can we do anything with public decency laws? Legally, she is a man. So this is what we're headed for. And here's the last implication. I think I've even talked to conservatives who said, well, as long as a man has had his surgery, then it's okay if he's in the women's locker room and stuff. But I want to say, if women have a right not to have men in their locker rooms when they're changing their clothes, their rights are not nullified or abrogated because this man is, because they're saying men have been doing this for years. Well, it's not true. I mean, men have not, because to really look like a woman, it has to be the men that are very young when they have the surgery because, and they have to have a lot of surgery, like Bruce Jenner has had so much surgery. So there haven't been a lot of men, because people will tell me, oh, men have been in there for years and no, women didn't know it. That's garbage. But there might have been some. But the fact that he has deceived her, a man has deceived a woman into undressing in his presence, then her rights have still been violated. Because I'll say, I'll say, let's take a, a whole different case. Let's take voyeurism. I'm not saying that trans people are voyeurs. I'm saying a whole different issue. And you say, women have a right not to be peeped on by men, right? So if you say, well, what if he gets some really good technology and he can peep on her and she doesn't know it? So I guess by the example they were giving me, no harm, no foul. If a man can be in a locker room, but she doesn't know she's undressing in front of a man, no harm, no foul. It's the same thing. It's wrong to do that. And, it, and I would say it's the same way because I hear people say about high schoolers, oh, yeah, the boys would love, you know, to 
get in the girls' locker room, have the girls in there. It's not true. My son was a swimmer, a really, really talented swimmer, was a big strapping kid. He would never have wanted a girl in the boys' locker room when he was in high school. They don't want to stand at a urinal and have a girl because the girls are doing this too. Girls are trying to get into the boys' private spaces. The central reason the trans ideology is wrong is not because of predation, although that is a concern. The central reason is that biological sex matters, and it is the source of our feelings of modesty and desire for privacy. That's the central reason it's wrong, because you can get lost in these discussions about, you know, they're not going to harm people, and of course, someone in District 211 that I read about, she went to, it was WTTW, Chicago Tonight, she was on that show, and she said, no trans person poses a risk to anyone anywhere. And it was like, how can you possibly make a statement like that? Anywhere? Now, I will say, in high school, it's unlikely that a high school boy who's pretending to be a girl is going to be a physical threat to another girl in a high school. Out in the real world? Absolutely. You'll, hey, you've probably heard people say, oh, so what are you going to have, genitalia police outside locker rooms and restrooms? And I said, well, what are you going to do? Have gender dysphoric police outside there to, uh, to make sure that the man who's claiming to be a woman is not actually a predator pretending to be trans in order to get into the locker room? I mean, the whole thing collapses in on itself. I don't know if you've heard of the Equality Act. So Obama tried to do this like piecemeal. He tried to say... Title IX in the Education Amendments of 1972 and Title VII in the Civil Rights Act of 1964, the word sex doesn't mean sex. I mean, it does mean sex, but it also refers to gender identity, which obviously it didn't. Sex meant biological sex. So he tried to impose that by fiat. Trump, of course, has undone those fiats. But now they're coming at it federally through the Equality Act, and the Equality Act would say those same things. It's going to say the word sex includes gender identity. And it specifically says religious rights are subordinate to this. So if this passes and Pelosi has said, if they get the presidency, that is first on their agenda. And it's going to lead to you know, really serious persecution. I have said for years, and I think people thought I was nuts, the most serious threat to the First Amendment is posed by the LGBT juggernaut. Uh, you know, when I get in discussions with people and I say, this is so much more important than tax rates, and I know there's a lot of conservatives who are like up in arms about tax rates. I don't like high tax rates either. But this is much more foundationally critical to First Amendment speech, assembly, association, religious rights than anything else we've ever faced. Um, I'm really hardcore about this, don't use their language, and especially don't use their pronouns. Now, I will say I don't care about names because names can be sort of arbitrary, gender arbitrary. I mean, my older brother's name is Leslie. You know, before like 1950, that was often a male's name, now it's exclusively female. So we know that with Jesse, all sorts of names. I don't care whatever, they, whatever their name is. And sometimes if someone's emailing me or something, I only know what they tell me. You know, if the guy who pretends to be a woman tells me his name is Julie, I try not to use it, but, you know, it's what it is. But pronouns, I'm hardcore. I don't know if you've heard of the French teacher out in Virginia who lost his job. He had a student, high school, who, it's a girl who identifies as a boy. So his name is Peter Vlaming, and his student 
it's a it's a girl who identifies as a boy, and he just used her new name, whatever it is. I don't know. She whatever he would use, He was perfectly willing to do that. He wouldn't use pronouns, so he just tried to avoid saying it. One day, she had something over her head and was like running down the hall, and she was about to run into a wall, and he impulsively said to another student that was nearby, "Stop her!" And she went ballistic about that. And then she complained, and he's lost his job because he made it clear. He's, his administration said, you have to use those pronouns. And he said, I'm a Christian. I can't do it. You can look it up and see really great videos of him. So in New York City, they passed a, a, a local ordinance in New York City that says if you refuse to use opposite the incorrect pronouns and you've been asked anywhere, like you're a, the person who lives across the hall from you in the apartment, you can make a mistake a couple of times, but if you refuse you can be fined up to $250,000. So, yes. And you can look that up if you don't believe me. Because someone wrote and said, that's not true, that's not true. And then they tried to, like, massage the words, and it's true. You, because they were saying, because it's true. You can find it. Or I've written about it. So, because I'm going to go on to another topic. I want to talk about, just for a second, rapid onset gender dysphoria. This is a new phenomenon that's, I mean, it's been around for a few years. So, most young children who are gender dysphoric were boys. Now, we're seeing a huge astronomical increase in teenage girls post-puberty who never expre ex expressed any kind of male behavior, male interest. Suddenly, are, they go on the internet, they go on YouTube, they see all these people talking about transitioning and how great it is, and this is, you know, like all this. Suddenly, in adolescence, Sometimes it'll be as non-binary, sometimes it's as the opposite sex, and this is when you know this is not a brain thing, this is a psychological problem. And girls are always more influenced by what they call social contagion. Uh, you know, they've had pro-anorexia sites that girls would go on, and they, they in, they've even had girls are influenced to cut, cut their arms and legs. So girls are very influenceable. And so this is why we just have to develop some courage and come out and speak boldly on this issue. The Illinois Family Institute's Lori Higgins at a forum in Rockford hosted by Concerned Citizens for America, a chapter of IFI. Please support the work of IFI and tell a friend about Illinois Family Spotlight. Until next time, God bless. Thank you for listening to Illinois Family Spotlight. For more information, please visit us at ifiaction.org and look for us on Facebook and Twitter. If you would like to email us questions or comments, please do so at feedback at ifiaction.org. Until next time, stay engaged and keep your eyes on the prize.